Join us now for Education Matters, a weekly look at the real people and real stories in education across North Carolina. Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm Keith Poston. There appears to be a growing consensus that we are over-testing our state's public school students. There is also increasing scrutiny over how those standardized test scores are being used to assign A to F letter grades to schools and to set pay for teachers and principals. This week we talked with two legislators who are both North Carolina classroom teachers who are backing efforts in the North Carolina House for changes. We're also continuing our state superintendent candidate interviews with James Barrett, a member of the Chapel Hill Carborough City Schools Board of Education. Before we tackle our main topics, we open with our headlines, our quick scan of education headlines across North Carolina and the U.S. Last year, when nearly 20,000 teachers descended on Raleigh to ask for more support for the teaching profession, State Superintendent Mark Johnson scheduled a trip out of town. This year, Superintendent Johnson is criticizing plans for another march that has been scheduled on a school day that he says will be too disruptive for students and parents. The North Carolina Association of Educators has set May 1 for a march that they, that they say for what are urgent needs for public schools, including funding for school nurses, school psychologists, and restoration of state employee retiree health benefits. A federal court has struck down a North Carolina charter school's dress code that requires girls to wear skirts as unconstitutional. Charter Day School in Leland says the skirts-only code is part of a traditional values education to preserve chivalry. One of the parents who sued said it's disappointing that it took a court order to force the school to accept that in 2019, girls should have the choice to wear pants. Finally, the North Carolina Senate is looking to retire teachers to help address a growing teacher shortage. Senate Bill 399 would let retired teachers work at Title I schools or schools that receive a D or F grade under the state school performance system without hurting their retirement benefits. Teachers could earn $35,000 to $40,000 a year and still collect their current pensions. This bill has got the backing of Senate Leader Phil Berger. Remember, you can visit the Public School Forum's website at ncforum.org, click on Education Matters, and read more about each of these headlines as well as all the other topics we cover each week. As I said at the top of the show, there are a number of bills in the North Carolina House and the Senate focused on student testing, and we're fortunate to have two House legislators here with us today who are gonna talk about it. We have Representative Ashton Wheeler Clements. She's a Democrat representing District 57 out of Guilford County. And next to her is Representative Jeffrey Elmore. Representative Elmore is District 94, Alexander and Wilkes County out in the western part of the state. So welcome to Education Matters, both of you. First time, I think. So. Thank you. I want to just, just to give a little background, I mentioned that you're both classroom teachers. Representative Elmore, you were just reelected to your fourth term. You are a North Carolina teaching fellow That's at correct. Appalachian State University, and you taught art, I believe. Art, I teach art. You yes. teach art. You currently teach art. I should also mention that you were the served as president of the Professional Educators of North Carolina for a time, so That's and, and currently chair the House K-12 Education Committee. Representative Clemens, you sit on that committee um, uh, with Representative Elmore, also a teacher also a teaching fellow right. so this is kind of cool for us to have both of you on you were a classroom teacher in durham and guilford counties um, and then went on to serve as a principal and an assistant superintendent in thomasville so, so get get the uh, bios out of the way thank you let's talk about first house bill 377 i'm going to start with you representative yes. elmore because you you were sort of the primary sponsor introduced right. this bill yes We've been talking about reducing testing for a few years. I mean, sure. it seems to be one of those things we've, we've kind of saw 
it was all about accountability. You know, it was like, sure. what are, you know, I think all well-intentioned. Um, what are our students learning and how can we measure sure. it? But now there's been a lot of pushback, started with parents in a lot of ways, yes. and then teachers. What's your bill, House Bill 377, sort of what does it um, want to do? Well, um, I think even from a teacher or parent, they understand that there is a certain place, a role for testing. But I believe what has happened with our testing system, it seems like we uh, continually add and add and add, but you never take away. Uh, what this bill will do will align us better with the minimal federal requirement for standardized test. So uh, it's using the test in a streamlined way in a more effective manner, which I think will benefit kids, parents, um, everything. Right, now you mentioned, uh, and, and parents who watch our, our show, uh, they, they're familiar with integrated tests. Yes. I mean, this bill actually goes, not only does it replace some tests, and I want to, maybe we can talk about it also with Representative sure. Clemens, because you're familiar with these, sort of the, uh, the concept of check-ins and sort of those sure. ongoing things. But it's, you're talking about elim basically eliminating um, integrated tests. Yes, uh, at the elementary level, this would be an elimination of the end-of-year um, EOG which basically, in my opinion, turns into a test of endurance. Uh, primarily in my role, I uh, conduct testing with small groups, kids with modifications. Uh, I've had small groups where the child will start at 8.30 in the morning and they cannot complete the test, or they don't complete the test, until the end of the school day. Mm. At that point, by 2 o'clock in the afternoon, really, what are you getting from the child uh, with their actual competency with the testing? At that point, they're just trying to survive. Uh, this new format would use uh, what are called the NC check-ins, which has been piloted uh, across the state in an effective way. Uh, so you would have three shorter tests throughout the year, and then those tests would be um, averaged in a particular way to determine the growth of the student. All right. Representative Clements, you're um, also a classroom teacher. Uh, this bill has passed out of committee, right? And so it's but hasn't been voted on the floor. You, I believe, you backed this bill in the committee. Uh, tell me, tell me about your experience uh, with testing and why you think that something like this is a good idea. Yes, I think that this bill is a step in the right direction. Um, we know, just as Representative Elmore said, um, kids are spending way too much of their instructional time testing, and when you have eight-year-olds sitting for four hours one day, is that an accurate measure of their overall achievement in a year? And I think that we are joined in believing that that is not the best way to measure how what our schools are doing on a daily basis. Um, and so we talked in committee about the North Carolina check-ins and how um, I believe they there's the way that they look right now. I think that this bill kind of puts forth how we would like them to look and um, that there will be some work needing to be done with DPI so that we can use a similar format that is shorter test throughout the year to understand how kids are achieving, which more aligns with how we know assessments should be used. And this is, but this is really trying to reach that balance that you were just talking about, Representative Elmore, which is we have to know. You do. You got to test somehow, whether but it correct. doesn't have to be a, a, a five-hour um, you know, filling out bubbles. That, that's correct. And the bill also addresses the local assessments. What we found when we actually got reporting back from the systems on the amount of local assessments that are given to supposedly aid in the EOGs, et cetera, uh, some of your lowest performing systems tested the most hours. Uh, mm. There's one system that if you were in the eighth grade, you had over 33 hours of just local assessments, not counting anything that was pushed down from the state. Right. So and One thing I know from my own daughter when she was in high school, one thing that struck me was there's the testing time that she's in, 
but then the, the teachers who have to go proctor mm -hmm. in other right. classrooms. And so what you end up with is a lot of dead time for students sort of watching videos or hanging out because sure. they don't have a teacher for that sure. period. That's correct. Yeah. Right, let me ask you about the school performance grades. There are two different bills, uh, House Bill 266 and 354, um, that, that were in committee. And it was around, and I mentioned at the top, it's not just the test, but how these tests are used. Those test scores are what are driving um, these A to F school grades. And I think people who watch the show know that the organization that I lead, we've been pretty critical of what we think are, you know, the sort of a skewed view of whether a school was doing a good job. Representative Clemens, what are, you, what are your thoughts on A to F school grades and these ideas of, of changing the weighting, um, sort of changing, maybe splitting them in half? What do you think about that? I, I think you are making a point. Part of that these two issues are interrelated. Part of why we have our lowest performing schools testing so much is because they're so afraid of what's going to happen and the way that they'll be penalized based on these school grades that boil everything they do down into one grade. And so I think that these are interrelated. Um, I think there were several proposed bills that passed our committee that are different ways to think differently about how we're holding schools accountable and what we put forth as we, what we value. So 266 in particular was one that I was on. Um, Representative Rydell was the lead sponsor. And that bill has grades for growth and proficiency. Right, so that's what it splits and so it gives you two grades. And it's the other bill that does the changes from the 80-20 to 50-50. Yeah. So right. both of them are trying to give more value to school growth that's happening. And, and they're just presenting that information in different ways. I think that the two grades gives us deeper analysis into what's happening at a school um, because we might have a really high performing school so they're going to be proficient but are they growing kids same for a kid, school that's starting well below the proficiency benchmark they may not get to the proficiency but might have tremendous growth both of those schools can do great things but it's the measurement should look different uh, what are the, um, so what's next for these? And I and like I always got to ask the question, we have um, House legislators and Senate legislators on. Y'all are not always on the same page. Sure. A, lot of, a lot of things sure. come out of the House that seem to have a lot of bipartisan support. And look, candidly, they go and die in the, in the sure. Senate. Where, where have, have you talked about to your colleagues on the, in the Senate? Well, I, I think that they understand there's a concern. Uh, the A through F system, uh, the benefit of it is is trying to put in a simplistic way to the parent because uh, things that have been done in the, the past is a school of distinction with growth and a gold star. People really didn't understand what that meant. Uh, an A through F system does simplify it to make it easier to understand, but what is in that A to F? And I think that they understand that there is a concern and how are we actually, are, are we showing an accurate picture of what's going on in the school? So I, I think there is some will there. I'm always hopeful with these things. Let me ask you both as sort of a, sort of wrapping up a, a se sort of separate topic. You were both North Carolina teaching fellows. Yes. There is some, uh, uh, there is a new version of the teaching fellows program that's back. Five schools in it right now. Right. Um, when you were both in it, there were a lot more schools. So. Sure. What are, where are, you, what are your thoughts on possible expansion of that program? Well, we, um, Representative Gill, I'm on a bill with her that opens up more of our university systems to being open to teaching fellows. We both know that we cannot get good people in the classroom, um, that many of our classrooms are going unfilled as the years start. And so um, teaching fellows certainly is a way to address that need. There are other ways we need to look at as well, but I hope that we will continue to expand. and and expand in ways that diversifies our teaching force. 
Great. Right. Well, sure. look, guys, we are we are um, we are out of time, but I appreciate okay. you both Thank for you. coming on. We uh, look forward to. So we're going to definitely follow these testing bills for yes. sure and see what happens. So thanks very much for being thanks here. Thanks for Thank having you, us. Keith. All right. After a brief commercial break, we'll be back to continue our series of state superintendent candidate interviews with Democrat James Barrett, a member of the Chapel Hill Carborough City Schools Board. But before we go to break, see if you can answer this question about teaching fellows. When the original North Carolina Teaching Fellows Program was eliminated by the General Assembly in 2011, it provided four-year scholarships on 17 college campuses. How many colleges are currently part of the new Teaching Fellows Program? Education Matters is brought to you each week in part by Paragon Bank, serving others, enriching lives. Welcome back to Education Matters. Did you correctly answer A, five schools? While legislation has been introduced to expand it, Currently, the North Carolina Teaching Fellows Program is only available in five campuses and last year provided scholarships for 74 students. The original program recruited 500 new teaching fellows every year to one of 17 colleges and universities across the state. Now we're going to continue our series of interviews with the announced candidates to date for State Superintendent of Public Instruction. There are four right now in the Democratic primary, which is scheduled for March of 2020, and today we have the final of the four so far, James Barrett. James, welcome to Education Matters. Thank you, and thank you for all the work that the forum does. All right, thank you so much. We, um, uh, you, I mentioned in the introduction, you, you currently serve on the Chapel Hill Carver City's uh, Schools Board of Education. I think you actually chaired that board. Um, you've been on what, eight years? Eight years. Eight years right. on the board. You're also, an, you're an IT professional. You're, you're, that's your, uh, your, your, uh, your day job, Absolutely. as it were. Yeah. So. Um, one of the things I, when I was looking at your bio, you are um, you are a public school kid like me. You attended uh, all through public schools, and um, your kids do as well. So tell me a little about sort of what your sort of your North Carolina story when it comes to education. So my mom was a teacher um, for for many many years, um, and she actually taught in the same system that I grew up in uh, in Chapel Hill in North Carolina, and uh, the same kids system my kids went to. So I went to some of the same schools um, that they went to. They were uh, they seemed bigger at the time, um, but uh, uh, they also were in better shape at the time. You know, we have all, all this issue with the bond and, and renovations we need to do around the state. Right. So. Um First question I'm going to ask you is, is, is the same first question I've asked the uh, previous three candidates. Um, why are you running for um, state superintendent? What, why do you feel like that uh, you need to be the uh, next state superintendent of public instruction? I believe that every student um, could be successful. And, and I see, uh, as a school board member, sometimes we see kids at their lowest um, because they're appealing some suspension or something. Uh, and when I get to see those same kids walk across the graduation stage or get some award for some achievement, um, I know that every kid can be successful. And that really, that motivates me. It motivates me every day um, in the work of the school board. Um, and I believe the interesting thing, we, we've done this, uh, this research about how much relationships matter. And the state superintendent can't force every teacher to have a great relationship with every student, uh, but we can be a model. Um, within DPI. And so my management experience, I know that I can restore the relationships that exist within the Department of Public Instruction. I know that my, um, my policy experience, uh, listening to teachers, uh, the background that I have in that, I know that we can do a lot to restore respect for teachers um, and build the relationships with all of the teachers across the state. And then I also have an advocacy background. And I believe strongly that the state superintendent should be an advocate 
for all of our schools across the state and rebuild the relationship that exists between the schools and the community. And when we do that, we will once again have the greatest public education system in the country. You know, when, uh, when the public school forum, we released our top 10 education issues back in January, uh, the top issue was about renewing our commitment to public education. And you just kind of alluded to that. Do you feel like that, um, as someone who grew up in North Carolina like me, do you feel like that we, um, that we have the same sort of commitment to public schools and public education that we used to have? Somehow we've created this as a partisan issue. Um, and, and that's created divides within our schools, um, and it's created divide between various systems that we have. Um, we need to get back to a single public education system that serves every student um, across the state of North Carolina. All right, let me ask you about some issues and some of your top issues. Um, you just heard um, in the previous segment, we had uh, Representative uh, Elmore and Clem uh, Clemens. They were both um, one Republican, one Democrat, both talking about over-testing. Um, what's your um, sort of take on the issue of uh, assessments and testing in North Carolina? I, I think we need to take a step back and think about what assessments are for. Um, the first thing that we need assessments for is that students need to know where they stand. Um, it's a motivation factor for them. Second, teachers need to know uh, where else students are doing so they can guide instruction. And public policy is really the third reason that we do assessments. Um, and it is the least important reason. And unfortunately, um, all the conversations we have today are about how do we measure schools, how do we give them grades. Um, that's not why is we should Is that what you want to say? I was going to say explain that. You mean uh, what the public policy, meaning that the, the tests are really given, well, we talked about a little bit with the, in the previous segment, the A to F school grades, right. for example. That's the least important reason to do testing. It's not about um, you know, how we allocate money. Um, it shouldn't be about how we uh, pay teachers. Um, it should be about... Um, the kids knowing the motivation for what they need to do, and teachers need to know what they need to do next. That's why we should do testing. And to the extent that we can use results out of their assessments to guide public policy, we have the technology. We ought to be able to do that today. Right. Well, you, uh, as, a, as, a, as a school board member, you, I assume you're in schools and you talk to uh, teachers. So what do they tell you about some of their challenges? Where, what, sort of where do they feel like that they need some additional help? Well, they, they need um, the biggest thing that comes up these days is mental health resources. Um, mental health is a huge challenge um, across all the schools across the state, um, whether it be because students live in poverty and has the trauma associated with that, but it also exists in our high achieving schools where the pressure, um, the daily pressure that exists to achieve more and more because of the society we live in and what's necessary to be quote unquote successful um, is so great. And so we need mental health support um, in each and every one of our schools. Yeah, so you mentioned you've got a, one of your children is, uh, is, is in college. I've got a daughter who's a freshman. And, uh, and as one of those things that I've, as I've, as she got older and I got to know a lot of her friends and be around other people, I am uh, struck by uh, sort of the anxiety and some of the Absolutely. issues. It just seems like, I don't know, the things that I was worried about uh, with children are, are, are kind of different right now. And they're things that we, as adults, get struggle to talk about. Right. The kids have no trouble talking about no, it. No, they don't. They know that they're all experiencing the same thing. Um, they, they all know that every one of them is in therapy um, if they can afford it privately. Um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a real challenge, a right. daily challenge. All right, we, let's talk about teachers. Um, there's there's going to be there's a, a call um, March um, uh, for teachers coming up in May. Um, there's some various priorities that I mentioned in the first segment. Um, 
sort of where do you come down? One, I guess, do you support a march like that? And also sort of the issues, you know, some of them they talked about restoring master's pay. Um, you talked about respect to the profession, um, uh, restoring uh, retiree health benefits. Sort of where do you come down on some of those issues? I, I think they're all very reasonable asks, right? I mean, they're, they, they address the mental health issues that I just talked about. Um, they also address paying um, our classified staff that don't get paid enough and bringing them up to a living wage, um, which the state did for other employees outside of schools. Uh, there are a lot of really, really important things in there. Um, and so I support, um, I support all those asks, and I support the fact that, um, I, I don't support, if our legislature was really listening to teachers, they wouldn't have to be marching. Okay. Um, and so um, it, it may be disruptive to families, um, but it's for long-term benefit of all of our schools. Right. All right, let's, one of the, uh, you mentioned the, the division and some of the political things, school choice in the broadest sense. Um, including homeschooling, uh, private school vouchers, charter schools. Just sort of quickly, so where do you stand, first of all, where do you stand on the use of uh, taxpayers' dollars for uh, private school vouchers? I don't understand why that's even constitutional. Um, we, 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 we have a constitution that says the General Assembly will provide for a single public school system, um, and now we've got a completely unaccountable separate public money going to something um, that is not the same as a, as a common good. Um, and so I, I don't support that at all. What about charter schools and sort of the, we've seen since two, uh, the, the charter school, 100 school cap was lifted uh, in 2010, uh, 2011, and we've seen the number of charter schools double. Do you have any concerns or you think that's a good thing for uh, North Carolina? I think we have to focus on quality of all of our schools. Um, charter schools um, have to be high quality. Um, and one of the ways that they, they claim they can get to high quality is because they have flexibility. Why do district schools not have that same exact flexibility um, in order to be able to serve all kids? Um, the, the focus has got to be on quality, whether it be a traditional school or, or a charter school. Right. I just want to ask you real quickly, there was a, you know, you don't serve on a school board without getting involved in, you're, you're going to make somebody mad at some point, right? Uh, with things like reassignment, you got to uh, embroil in a little bit of controversy around a, a, a Mandarin Chinese immersion uh, school in Chapel Hill. Sort of, sort of where, does, where did that thing end up and sort of what's your take on that? So we were trying to um, expand the program um, at no additional cost. That is one of those choices that, that we think people ought to be able to have. Um, and it would have displaced some kids, um, and people get very, very upset uh, when they get moved out of their schools. And so um, that, that broiled over, unfortunately, um, to, a, to a really ugly degree. Um, but it was really uh, it was about serving the needs of all kids, uh, providing high-quality options. All right. Well, like I said, if you if you, you you throw your hat in the ring or you you, you serve in any kind of office, you're going to uh, uh, to deal with controversy. But uh, but Lena, we, look, we appreciate you coming on the show today and talking about your your priorities, and we'll, we'll hopefully we'll get a chance to have more conversations with you and the other candidates as we move forward. Absolutely. Thanks so much for being Thank here. Thank you. Appreciate it. After the break, this week's final word. Last week, Charlotte Mecklenburg School Superintendent Clayton Wilcox proposed a 15% increase in county funding for Charlotte Mecklenburg schools, with nearly half of the extra $70 million requested going to staff pay raises. Now, Wilcox says he wants to provide the highest county supplemental pay for teachers in the state, eclipsing the average $8,649 that Wake County currently provides. Now, on one hand, it's great news for teachers or prospective teachers who may want to work in Charlotte, and I certainly don't blame CMS for doing it. 
The big supplements provided by Wake County and Mecklenburg County and, and Chapel Hill Carborough, for example, is one of the reasons those districts have lower turnover and higher percentages of veteran teachers and board certified teachers than most other districts. Now those local supplements are also one of the reasons state lawmakers can tout an average teacher salary of nearly $54,000 when the state's investment in teacher salary actually tops out at $52,000. But this race to the top when it comes to local supplements forces lower wealth counties into an arms race that they can't possibly win when it comes to recruiting and retaining the teachers they need for their students. Our current state funding for education is inequitable and inadequate. And in some ways, like average teacher pay, that's being masked by the, fly, the higher flying Wake and Mecklenburg counties. It is not a formula for long-term success for North Carolina. That's it for this week's show. Thanks for watching. And next week, we're going to talk a lot more about teacher pipeline and prep. So please, please uh, tune in next week for Education Matters.